Hey, this is Helen Paradise from SoCal, and you are listening to the Barbecue Central Show. Happy to have you aboard here for the really big barbecue show. Boing. We cook because we have to, and we grill because we want to. Hit me! Fine, how you doing? <laughs> you have a great show, I'm a big fan. Boing. So what, what, what seems to be the problem here? This man looks like he's dead, and he's in the, in the crackle. Charbono. It's all about the Charbono, dude. Succulent fish. What? We ate two for wiener. Delicious, Lavernius. Shake I'm shaking like a dog shit peach seeds. <laughs> we have top men working on it right now. All right, just like that, we are into the second hour, and it's the Barbecue Central Show, doing Barbecue Central Show things, rounding out the origin stories, and we go right to the hotline and welcome in the newest embedded correspondent, Rusty Monson. Hey, Rusty. Hey, how's it going? What's up, Rusty? Chilling, just, Yo. you know, chilling. I look in the back over your left shoulder, and I think there's, like, somebody sitting there at a desk behind you, but... There, there's nobody sitting. No, that's that's why I put on my pretentious award. Just in my periphery. All right, so we're doing origin stories. You uh, caught the last part of Derek Riches, who a long time uh, uh, you you Utah you Utahian, that a Utah person, city of Utah. Yeah. Oh, see, we say like Ohioan, but is there something for Utah? City of Utah. All right. City of Utahian. Yes, Derek. Long time. City of oh, Utahian. Utah. Yeah, yeah, it's weird, dude. Yeah. No, that doesn't work at all. I we know. need to think of something. From hard. Utah, from the city of Utah, and we'll leave it at that. Yeah, that, that's the best way yeah. to do it. All right. Uh, so, Rusty, when, when and where were you born? Um, I was born in American Fork, Utah in 1977. So, if you guys have seen Footloose with Kevin Bacon, that yes. was the town I was born and raised in. It was just like that. Uh, very Literally just like that movie. That movie is, uh, if anyone wants to know what it was like for me growing up, I was Kevin Bacon in Footloose. And yeah, I could actually, you know, I never worked at the roller mills, which is, you know, the prominent place he worked. But um, yeah, it, that's what I, that's how I grew up. That's exactly it. I didn't dance though. I should have. I didn't know there was so much dance space in Lehigh until I watched that movie. So now that, you know, but it was, uh, that was it. That's how it was. Uh, what was it like growing up for you pre previous to high school? Like as a, as a young rug rat or you somebody that had a lot of friends that you've palled around with and got into stuff or, you know, what, what was a young rusty like? Well, I was kind of a latchkey kid, so my mom and dad both worked, and we would go to school and come home, and we're left to our own devices. Um, so yeah, I had a, we had a lot of free ranging. You know, we were very free range kids, so we we had a big old you know property we'd live on, and we'd just do all the things we could do, just you know wherever. Yeah, just come home when the lights turn on, you know, in the streets, kind of kids. So yeah, we grew up in the neighborhood. It was a small town, man. I'm telling you. So it wasn't a lot of, you know, yeah, friends, you know, but it was just small. So you kind of hung out in groups of who you lived by really. Were you, how it was. Were you by mountains like Derek was? Oh yeah, man. Yeah. All over. We used to, 
go hunting uh, was a big thing we did when I was a kid. That's how I got into smoking meat, actually. Um, but yeah, just anywhere you go, left, right, south, north, there's mountains everywhere on Utah. We're completely surrounded by them. So it's, re- it's a really cool place to grow up um, because of the outdoors. You know, a lot of people come here to Utah because it's so beautiful. There's so many different kinds of outdoorsy. There's the deserts, you know, and there's north, you know, it's very green and really cool. And we spent a lot of time out there, you know, hunting rabbits with BB guns. And, you know, we were the kind of kids that I had a rifle when I was nine, you know, um, it's just how it was back then. We just roll off and wherever and just shoot stuff, you know, shoot windows out of old cars and shoot stop signs and kill whatever we could. <laughs> That's just how it was. So were you from a house where the parents stayed together? Uh, yeah. Until I moved out, I, they stayed together until I moved out. What happened? But then they got a divorce when I moved out. Uh, my dad was a dick. I love him, but he was a dick. Like, um, he just wasn't cool, man. Like, um, like all through growing up, he was a dick or just like, yeah, a little bit yeah. after or what? Yeah. He, uh, you know, he liked to party up and, you know, for a long time. My mom wasn't, she was trying to keep everything together and he was someone who would go out and we have a place called Wendover. That's about an hour and a half from here that has casinos. And that was a really thing, you know, he liked to go do, I mean, there was a time where he hawked the, our my mom's wedding ring to go out there. I think, um, just crazy stuff, man. So you he, know, was, uh, he was, he was a, de- he was a degenerate. Uh, no, it was, he was a high functioning degenerate. Uh, he was, he was always nice to us kids. I mean, it was never, uh, a problem in the household. Yeah. He would just come home and you know, in the morning you you're hung over and you don't want to talk to kids. And that's just kind of how he was just grumps a lot, you know, and we'd go hunting and fishing and stuff and it was all cool. But you know, we grew up and there was parties at our house and you know, we'd be sleeping and there'd be music playing. We wake up and there was beers and stuff. That's, I, you know, when I was a kid, little kid, I would go out and drink the bud lights. You know, the problem was is that they would spit their chew yeah. into the bud light cans and I didn't drink beer until I was like 25 out of necessity because I just couldn't do it. Cause to me, I didn't know the difference. I didn't know there wasn't chew in every single Bud Light, you know, how would you so, know? Yeah. But my dad, he was just kind of like that, you know, and he didn't want to give that, that lifestyle up and he was just how he was. And yeah. he, you know, he, he was a brick Mason. We, he was a coal miner for a long time. If it gives you any idea of kind of how I grew up, um, you know, I just one of those, you know, play hard kind of guys, but you know, didn't work hard. <laughs> Um, were, were there other siblings in the house? Yeah, I have a sister. She's younger than I am by two years. And my brother is younger than her by two years. And that was it. That was the three of us. Um, we were pretty close. We, you know, like I said, small town. So you kind of get close to your brothers and sisters, you know, you kind of have to stick together, but, um, yeah, it was really fun. It was a good time growing up in that town. And that, that time that was right around the Lafferty murders. I don't know if you've heard about that, but that happened a, a couple blocks from our house. Really? Yeah, if you guys are you know into something like true crime, go look up the Lafferty murders. It's pretty damn crazy. Do you have a thumbnail on that? No, I don't know. I don't think so. What do you mean? Like a clip? Like, like a, a five-second description of, of like what happened? Oh, yeah. That? So what happened was is the Lafferty's were these brothers who made a church that was a, it was a splinter of the Mormon church. And then they believed that they were coming up to, you know, take over and cleanse whatever you know we know what those people believe i don't know i don't know but their brothers wanted they need their brothers there and their wives and other people bishops in the mormon church were getting in the way so they had a kill list of people they were going to go kill well everyone chickened out but 
the two ba- oldest Lafferty brothers, and they went and actually killed the wife of their brother and their infant son, uh, two wow. houses away from us. Wow. Yeah. So yeah, crazy. If you guys ever read like John Krakauer's Under the Banner of Heaven, it's a really good book, but it talks a lot about that. There's a plug. John Krakauer, reach out to me. I'd love to say hi. That's right. Big He's a fan. big fan. Wow. <laughs> Um, all right. So, uh, what was high school like you get into, uh, as I was talking with Derek, you know, that can be a weird time for, uh, some kids, but, uh, other kids don't seem to have any problem with it. So, uh, going in being the, uh, oldest of the Monson kids, uh, how did you find high school life to be? I, I actually loved it. And in Lehigh, you were on the football team or you're on the rodeo team. And I wasn't having that. I was, Rodeo on the pink team. hair yeah you were on the rodeo um but i was i was an outcast kid i was the um you know i was the kid from the john hughes movie you know but a little bit more kind of like Derek, you know punk rock music pink hair you know more just crazy stuff to school all the time had a punk rock band um you know whatever just lived life just did whatever i wanted to do um and you know, i failed out of school i was actually kicked out of school because uh, i tried to yeah so we were goofballs we did as much as we could to kind of terrorize the school but there was one it didn't kick me out for this reason but i know this is why but during uh they had you know the schools elect presidents and whatever stuff and they kind of have like the the school colors like ours were purple and white so it's the purple team and the white team party i mean we had the black party and we tried to elect serial killers to the schools we post um flyers everywhere of like you know elect Ted Bundy, um, Ted Bundy, all these people. And we keep on putting them up. And I had a friend of mine who was in the newspaper and she actually put some things down for people to vote. And so we actually got 2% of the vote. Wow. Uh, the black party got 2% of the vote and no one knew who it was. No one can prove it, but the principal had an idea. And so he was basically searching for reasons to kick me out of school and that. And then he just found it in that loophole and booted me, hmm. which was awesome. Cause you know, no more school. Let's go to high school when you're 18 and full of life. Were you, you know? were you a senior at that point when you get uh, yeah. invited not to come back? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It ended up being grades. Um, he's just like, well, you might as well just leave and you're not going to graduate anyway. And I'm like, whatever. Bye. So, but yeah, his son ended up telling me the real reason why about a year later. What was the real years. reason? Well, because I tried to elect serial killers. Oh, to the okay. yeah, of course. That's outrageous. Uh, do you GED up or are you a straight up drop up? After school, I read a book called On the Road by Jack Kerouac. And um, actually, funny enough, I had three very close friends die in three different ways. And at that same time, it was a really transitional time in my life. And I didn't want to go to school. I didn't want a traditional job. I wanted to just live life, you know, and do my thing. And I was, I was a, I was at a dishwasher at the time at a restaurant and I was having, I read restaurant jobs. And so what I did is I basically stuck in restaurants because I had the freedom to do whatever I wanted to do. I can make good money and then travel or I can get good money and play and play music, which I was into at the time. And I just wanted to live life. I just wanted to, you know, cause you know, when you lose friends like that at a young age, it's kind of traumatic and I didn't want to, you know, I just kind of, it put in things in perspective for me. How are these friends so, passing away? Um, my good friend, Sean died of a brain aneurysm Ooh. one night. He went sleeping on the couch and never woke up. Um, my friend Shannon died of a heroin overdose and my friend Dave shot himself with a shotgun in his bathtub. Hmm. 
within a few years of each other reading that book this is a very transcending time so it's just like you know i'm not gonna you know i've i'm not gonna i don't you know I don't, this that's it's just you kind of think that life is short man you don't got a lot of time to do stuff if you look at it you know we don't have a lot of time here we don't have a lot of things to do you know we can if we want to but we choose not to and that was kind of my creed growing up is i just wanted to you know i wanted to get as much as i could done in the time that i was given you know so very um what's what's the movie uh ferris bueller you know status are there the the guy with the brain aneurysm that's something that you don't see coming obviously but uh the other two guys like uh the one that dies of a heroin overdose was he into drugs or was that something new Mm -hmm. so i mean did you anticipate that oh you know that's the guy that's gonna die of a heroin overdose kind of a thing yeah we knew it um what about the other guy that shot himself with a gun was he a depressed individual or was he also on drugs he was depression at the time was wasn't serious it wasn't taken seriously this is the early 90s still not Um, really it's not and it was worse then and he would run around and complain i'm gonna kill myself and this and this and he had all these problems and he was man he was shouting from the rooftops and we're just like oh dave's just you know being a bitch and yeah begging for attention exactly and we no one took him seriously and when he did it 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 was looking back now it was a huge shock and it shouldn't have been you know because he was he was man he might as well just written it on the wall every everywhere he went you know so looking back on that now you kind of regret it um that you could have done something especially because he called me that day and i didn't want to answer because it frankly didn't want to to talk to him hear him cry about whatever it was yeah and should have probably the time he needed to cry the most do you think about that at all other than just like talking about it right now does it haunt you in any way it used to it did for a really long time Uh, again it kind of translated itself into you know it the the perspective perspective you know like why are we here what what's the purpose am i going to go to college and get a degree and work my ass off and never do anything with it you know and that's how it would tra- that's how it would kind of manifest itself i don't think about it anymore i don't it doesn't bother me anymore um i sometimes will go down to cuz i have some people you know family and stuff buried where dave is and i'll i'll stop by and stuff comes up and it's it's different again it translates to a perspective you know uh, I've done a lot in that time and those tragedies have helped elevate me to where I am and I'm really happy with where I am. So it's all stuff that building blocks in your life, you know, it worked out sadly. When you're growing up, what kind of a food scene are you at at home and, and experiencing around you that may, maybe starts the building blocks to where you end up here with barbecue? Well, when I grew up, we grew up, uh, everyone was a farmer. My grandparents were farmers. They owned very large farms. My grandpa, my grandpa raised uh, Piedmont cattle, uh, grass-fed, which was weird at the time. Um, and my other grandpa just had a normal, you know, cows and pigs and stuff like that. So dinner there, and I and my mom and dad wanting me to, you know, work and feel that would make <laughs> some of my summers were spent there working with them on the farms and eating the food was amazing. You know, you would eat the food from the garden, you'd eat the food from the 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 cows, you know, that were there and my mom and dad would buy it from them. And we grew up really, you know, eating that kind of stuff. My mom, she cooked really well. My dad was a really good cook. Um, they cooked poor people food like goulash, you know, all that stuff, whatever we could put together, tacos that you could have but for man, a couple of days. 
dude, yeah, when that freaking <laughs> stock pot came out, like, what's up? All right. Yeah. Like, I'm not eating good lunch in the next few days. Yeah. So we grew up in that kind of environment where we had good cooks surrounding us. It was food from, you know, that we made, you know, uh, we grew um, locally sourced, I guess, at the time. I didn't know it, but to me, it was amazing. So, yeah, we were a very cook-oriented family. Uh, I, I wanted to cook when I was very little. I started a business when I was five, six, and I would make cereal by mixing cereals together. I've had a very nice thing I put on my door with a name, made cereal. My, like I said, I was a latchkey kid, sort of, so I would have to cook for my younger brother and sister at a really young age, so I cook a lot. And uh, my father uh, and grandfather and uncles would smoke meat, and so I would try and do it too outside with random stuff. Like uh, I would see a metal box and I'm like, all right, I'm going to put some wood in that and a grate and I'm going to smoke this. And I wanted to do that so bad. And uh, that's what they would do is they would smoke. Um, we had rabbits and chickens and turkeys and we would sell them to the bars. We'd go around and sell them. Right? So we'd cook them, go at night. People would buy them at these bars. Mm. And that's how we didn't make a living that way. But that was just kind of a side gig. But watching him inject and smoke and do all that stuff and was really cool. So that's the food scene I grew up on, and I was into it very early. Uh, I wanted I wanted to go to culinary school outside, right outside of school. That's what I wanted to do my whole life. I was a student of cooking. My whole, I ended up going to culinary school when I was forty, which was you know a few years back. Now wow. it's you know so. But you know I've been to read cookbooks when I was a kid, and it was my favorite kind of book to read, and still is. So when you are out of high school, um, you don't go to college. Nope. You're well, I do. I actually, I do. I do. I was a film study, but I drop out very quickly. How do you get in the co- Was it like a community college or something? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, community college. So I, I went to community college right out of high school because I was one of the worst students ever. Um, not because I was adult, but I had a a, a lack of desire to apply myself. Uh, and also I didn't care and that's why I didn't get to go to real college, uh, when everybody else went after our senior year. So I had to learn how to be a student at community college before I ended up transferring to the college that I ended up graduating from. Um, so you get uh, food service jobs, you're living the life that you want to live. Um, how does a future start to take shape for you? It doesn't, man. It just, everything fell apart and fell into place. Um, life was kind of, of an adventure from like my, when I was 18 till I was 33 and everything in between was just whatever, you know, let's drive to Vegas. Let's go do this. Let's travel here. Let's go here. Let's move to New Orleans. Let's live there for a while and kind of bohemian looking back on it a little bit. Um, I lived downtown Salt Lake City, you know, and it was, uh, it was a fun little time to live in Salt Lake and, uh, had a budding music scene. It was really cool. Played in mute. Like I said, played bands and uh, lived that life for a long time. And uh, it was, it was fun. And then I met my wife and you know, I've always wanted to be a dad and settle down. That was always the goal, but you know, I wasn't like out there searching for it, you know, and we grew up in Utah and it's predominantly Mormon and you, you were 18 with five kids already. So it was was different, you know, for someone like me to want to do that. You know, I I didn't grow up Mormon. I grew up in an extremely Mormon town. We were maybe, man, we were one of 10 families maybe that weren't Mormon. At least it felt that way. So, you know, not 
living that life was, you know, in Salt Lake, it was a little bit easier. Was it like Derek um, said that, you know, the other families were warning their kids about people like you? Oh, I, you go to a friend's house and then you weren't allowed back. You didn't know why. <laughs> Sometimes a kid would tell you, well, my mom says that you're going to teach me about the devil. And I'm like, oh, well, all right. I am the devil. <laughs> He's probably right, but yeah. You know, I'm not going to go crazy about it, kid. No, but um, yeah, it was like that. Absolutely like that. You know, um, is the typical, you know, I see in the movies, like you're walking down the street and the mom grabs her kid, moves her across the street, you know, like don't mm. probably didn't help that I was wearing makeup as a boy, as a teenager. But uh, yeah, that was a, uh, I was a weird kid, man. I'm telling you what, it's right. weird to look back on. So let's uh, break here. We'll get the love story when we come back and learn even more about Rusty, who, by the way, is the co-host of the Pitmasters podcast. So let me uh, find this, and I'll talk to you quickly about Big Pop Smokers. The one-stop online shop for all things barbecue, a curated selection of only the best outdoor cooking and grilling supplies. Get you on the path to better barbecue results in no time. Big Papa's known for the championship rubs and seasonings. Popular flavors like Sweet Money, Cattle Prod, and Cash Cow. Proven winners on the competition circuit and in the backyard, offering 13 perfectly balanced flavors. Transforming ordinary meals into extraordinary meals. Pick them up at BigPopSmokers.com. Also, the proud owner of Granny's Barbecue Sauce. If you're looking for a new go-to sauce or you're tired of what is existing out there currently, Granny's Barbecue Sauce is one that you go on to try. Great all by itself out of the bottle. Also, easy to doctor. So if you're looking for a good base sauce and you want to tweak or you're a tweaker, no, not that kind of tweaker, a sauce tweaker, then check out Granny's. You can do a whole bunch of stuff with it and make it your own. Aside from the premium selection of rubs and sauces, they also offer the very best pellet charcoal and wood cookers available today. If you're looking for a versatile smoker that's easy to use, check out the Mac 2-Star General Pellet Grill. Big Papa Smokers, the exclusive Mac dealer, even offering special packages. If you're not a fan of pellet smokers, take a look at the old Hickory Ace BP, the only charcoal smoker that Big Papa trusts on his competition trailer. Not sure of what grill you need? Call them and ask questions. 877-828-0727. That's 877-828-0727. Or shop their website at BigPapaSmokers.com. That's B-I-G-P-O-P-P-A Smokers. Com. We're back with more Rusty Monson right after this. Stick around. We'll be right back. You're listening to the number one most downloaded barbecue and grilling podcast anywhere. The Barbecue Central Show. Monthly visits from a killer hog, a cooking guy, a man named Meathead, the author of Barbecue Bible, a grill girl, a bristly barbecue journalist, and the male feasance of the barbecue world known as the Embedded Correspondence. Only found right here on the Barbecue Central Show. This portion of the show being brought to you by Pit Barrel Cooker, the most versatile cooker out there on the market today. Two different sizes, a host of accessories to complete the experience. A third size coming sooner than later. Go to pitbarrelcooker.com and let them know the Barbecue Central Show sent you. We're back with Rusty Monson. Rusty, before we get into the love story, I mean, I am totally interested on how you run for, I mean, what is it, the better part of 15 years 
going to this place and that place and, uh, as you say, living life, man. Like, uh, mm-hmm. I, I understand the theory and mindset, but uh, financially and physically, like, how the hell do you do that? I, I can't even conceptualize. Uh, you know, you have a hangover concoction, you know, and you work. And I was a bartender, waiter, mostly. I started out in the kitchens um, doing dishes and like, working the line and doing stuff like that. And then I moved out busing and hosting. I hosted a, at Denny's at one point. Um, I think it's that was a server for a really long time. Yeah, that too. Yeah. <laughs> and then I, you know, I started as, then I was a waiter for a real long time and a bartender. And so what's cool about it is, you know, like you work in the night, you know, you go to work at four, you get off at 10 to midnight, sometimes later, and you got a hundred bucks in your pocket, you know, and you, you go spend it and you go have a good time. And then four days before rents due, you pick up shifts and you work your ass off and you pay rent. And then you start on the first all over again. And that's the life, man. That's how it was. And if you could save enough, you could go do some cool stuff like, you know, move to New Orleans and Chicago and da 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 and do whatever you wanted to do and and live the life. That's that's how you do it. Was it a pressure? Pressure. Um yeah, no, I guess no. I mean there's times where, you know, shit got ugly and you know, yeah, I got kicked out of a house with 24 hours notice to move out. And there was other times where we couldn't even keep our stuff. <laughs> we just had to leave. And there's times I had to couch surf and, you know, finding some place. And, you know, and then life gets to you and you start wondering where you're going to be end up. And, you know, is this going to be my life? I'm a 45-year-old waiter, you know, and you, you worry about that stuff sometimes. But, you know, um, then just don't at the same time because, you know, it's like, again, it's all about that, you know experiencing stuff you know i don't want to die and regret anything is kind of the mantra so where do you kind of how i where do you run into your wife then so you know working the restaurants a long time especially working in management i i ended up becoming a restaurant manager and i uh at a restaurant that i was a bartender and and waiter at so you know had relations with some of the people there before i was a manager so i had the strict rule of not dating anyone from work that was my rule and another thing is I was never really into younger girls, right? Always, always older. My friends would date someone who's like three years younger than me, and I was always making fun of them. Like, oh, you guys want to, you know, come over and drink some Kool-Aid and watch Lion King? You know, your girlfriend <laughs> will love it. <clears throat> and so I was always bagging on them for just dumb stuff. So I'm down in St. George, Utah, managing a Red Robin. Um, and sh- I hire this host. Her name's Kimmy. And we kind of, you know, talk, whatever. I play poker. I used to play. I used, I used to think I was going to become this poker pro, right? So I was teaching her how to play cards. And so we got this relationship going through cards. And uh, we should come over to my house. I teach her how to play. And we talk into the night. You know how that goes. And so one day, it's Halloween. And, and 2009. And she's dressed in a banana suit. And I don't know what I was dressed as. I was like, a, I don't know. I, I don't dress up for Halloween. So it was probably something totally random. So she's totally decked out as a banana. And she's in the, we're at work. And I say something smart ass to her. And she looks at me. And that look, man, it was just like they say in the books, just like lightning. And I knew that second that I was going to marry that chick. Wow. And so my birthday's coming up. So I asked her to come up to Utah with me and hang out. And she's like, okay, cool. So we go up there. And we come back, and she sleeps over in my apartment, and we she never leaves my house. <laughs> that's wow! It. So that's like uh, the Robin Lindar story, but in Utah. 
Exactly. Wow. So, yeah. So I think Robin was like, they dated for like three days and they moved in. But for me, <laughs> yeah. it was, it was literally that day. She, we decided we were going to be a couple and then we had to keep it secret. I was going to tell, you know, the, you know, the corporate, you know, this is yeah. what's happening. It right. And, but she moved into my house and that, that was it, man. And I told her day three, I'm like, we're getting married. So that's how it's going to go. Do you, quickly get married at that point or i mean were you just saying we're going to get married and there's no definitive timetable on accomplishment i should say this i forgot to say because i set this up (laughs) i was 33 and she was 21 um and she was my subordinate so (laughs) i broke both rules i i I shit eight yeah and i dated a young oh man 12 years your junior oh yeah wow right you know i'm I had never been interested in a girl even at all. Cause you know, they, they just, I, I wasn't even on the same level as them. Not to say I was better or anything. I just was over here and they were over there. You know, this is interesting so, because you know, when we talk about you uh, behind your back with the other embedded correspondents, the one thing that comes up all the time is, I mean, we're roughly the same age. I think uh, you're younger than me by three years. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, I mean, so we're roughly the same age, but um, I, the refrain that I hear is Rusty's an old soul. Rusty's an old soul. Mm-hmm. So if you're somebody that is staunch against dating younger women and now you're going to marry somebody that's that was that you were twelve when she was born, to make it sound even <laughs> weirder. Um like what is it about her? Is she then an old soul as well? Or, uh, I mean, what about that personality uh, allows you to diverge into that realm? Exactly that. Like mm-hmm. she, you know, her mom was really big on, well, she hasn't traveled and done enough. I mean, dude, she knows exactly what she wants. She knows, not me, but in life, Kimmy knew, I probably when she was 13 years old, I don't know, but she just ha- that girl that just knows what she wants. And she knows she wants to be a mom. She wants, that's all she's ever wanted to do. She wants to have kids, be married. And that's what she wants. And she's fine with whatever. And she was just super old soul is exactly is the best way to say it. Cause we would have conversations. and I just love listening to her talk. And anyone at that time, her age, I was like, Oh, okay, cool. Justin Bieber. Yeah, he's great. Okay. It's time to go. And it was, it wasn't weird until I hung out with her friends, you know, and they would talk and they would do stuff. I was like, Oh Jesus this is weird. Or like you said, like, you know, I'm like, did you ever do this? Like I wasn't born yet. Like you weren't born yet. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Hmm. Wow. (laughs) So yeah, no, it's, it is weird. And it's just funny because I went to Las Vegas when I turned, um, 20, 21 and we have a picture of me in Vegas and we have a picture of her when, cause she lived in Las Vegas. That's where she grew up of her on Christmas Eve, that same Christmas Eve. (laughs) She's creepy. dude. Uh, I I had it. I can just show you. So it's just like me as a grown ass man and her as a little girl. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, we we can make it sound as weird as we want, but I mean, the fact is you weren't dating back then. So who gives a crap? Uh, Everybody's legal. Everybody's in love. And you know, that's all we like. So, all right. So you guys are on board. Uh, You're going to get married. Uh, Do you have a big wedding? Do you, you do like justice of the peace thing do you go to vegas and do a drive-through what's the deal well um yeah we were she wanted to wait a year but dude, we were up and we came up here to utah county where i live where i'm from sorry we didn't live there at the time and we went ring shopping and we bought a ring and she was just insistent that i do it then 
And she's like insistent. Like you need to ask me right now. If you ask me right now, I would say yes, but it has to be in a way that I can tell my friends for the, for eternity. And it has to be a cool story. I'm like, you're giving me like two days to do this lady, you know? So in the music business, I know a lot of people on the radio. So I called up a buddy of mine said, Hey, I'm going to record this thing. I'm going to play the song, you know, and then play it at this time. So we drove up to the mountain and, um, played this song, which is our song. And then I, my voice comes over the radio and I get out of the car and she's listening to it. I'm on my knees and I tell her on the radio to open the door and I have a question for her and blow up. So things went real quickly after that. And so her mom took care of everything. Mom's like this whirlwind of activity. Like she's like the Tasmanian devil, you know, just. (laughs) So she got us a place in St. George, a beautiful, beautiful area in the red rocks. That was just, you know, it was just, it was a great, I don't remember shit. So a lot of people like, Oh, my wedding. I'm like, you're not going to remember any of this, dude. Don't worry about it. Like going to, I wanted to just go down to the courthouse, you know, sign my paper. She signs hers. We high five, you know, a little down low, call it a day, but she wasn't having it. So we had a pretty cool wedding. It was really fun. It was, uh, it was beautiful. Like I said, Red Rock, Utah is the coolest place on earth. And yeah. it was the perfect setting for a wedding. And it was, yeah, it was great, man. Super are, great. Are you quick to have kids after that? Um, yeah, we, we hung out and, you know, did some stuff, but yeah, we, 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 I, I wanted, I've always wanted to be a dad. Like when people, when they're kids, like I want to be a fireman. I'm like, I want to be a dad. You know, that's how little I was wow. when I realized that's what I wanted to do. So we got on that pretty quickly. Um, we had three kids, um, Kate, Stella and Winslow, all girls, um, pretty quickly. Like they're all, <laughs> they're very, they're like my, my family, you know, within a year, like year, two years apart. Mm-hmm. So yeah, pretty quick. Uh, what has parenting been like for you as somebody, as uh, you said, had a dad that was a dick, um, <laughs> What things did you consciously decide that you were not going to do around your kids that you were exposed to? And, and I guess conversations that you were having with your wife on how you wanted to team parent. Well, I left that up to her because at the time I was working six days a week, 12 hours a day at restaurants at, you know, Texas roadhouse and, and running that show and, yeah. and doing all this stuff. So I didn't have a lot of time that was kind of left to her to decide what she wanted to do. And I was just there to support her for me and my dad we have a great relationship and we kind of always have besides him being a complete asswipe. When I was a kid, he's still an asswipe. I love him, but he's an asswipe. And, uh, I, I wanted to be more positive with them. I wanted them to know I loved them all the time. You know, I wanted them to know that I'm there. I'm a, we're going to have fun together. We're going to do all this stuff, but I love you always, no matter what. And I wanted to try and be a positive influence in their life and not, you know, and try and work through the problems that we have, even the dumb, you know, kid problems in a positive manner that's what I took away from my, my growing up. And now that I'm a full-time stay at home, dad, I get to do that a lot. And it's, it's, it's interesting. You know, you get what you ask for. It's not always what you want. I love hanging out with my kids, but I I see them constantly now. It's, it's really cool. How does that transition happen for you then? If you're a a six day a week, 80 hour restaurant guy, how do you transition Mm -hmm. into full-time dadhood? Well, my wife is a nail technician. She does hand-painted gel nails. And what that is, long story short, nails that last like a week or two. She oh, yeah. I know all this, about it. Three daughters myself, <laughs> so I, I get it. She's really popular on Instagram for her nails art, and she's, she's phenomenal. She's absolutely amazing at it. <laughs> so she has this huge following on the Instagram, 
And one day her friend comes to her with this makeup that lasts forever. Put on your face, never comes off. You you go swimming. Well, it comes off eventually, I'm sure. Okay. But you know, it's like a whole day thing. It's like a 13 hour makeup. You don't have to reapply it. And she's like, I'll try it. So she tries it and she loves it. And she starts telling her friends about it, you know, her her nail friends and like, I want to try it. And they love it. So she's like, well, I'll sign up and maybe I'll get a couple bucks. So she signs up, posted on her nail stuff where she's very popular. And man, it went from zero to 700. So she signed up and it just exploded. Like in here in Utah, it was like she got right there and it was a network marketing company. So she just went, just blew up. And after a year or two of that, knowing that it was probably real, we I was actually going to get offered at my own restaurant, my very own, I own it restaurant. Texas Roadhouse has a managing partner system where you can buy your own restaurant. Hmm. So I was about to have that. Um, and so it was like, oh, do I take this? You know, like, I don't know. It's like, or do I just retire? You know, what do we want to do? And so we decided, I just had, you know, read another book and I, and we were in Hawaii and I was like, well, let's just screw it. And went back to my teenage self. You know, it's not about working all the time. It's not about that. It's about the experiences that you can have and the adventures that you can have. And so I said, screw it. So I said, I retired. So I stopped and she's like, yeah, let's quit. So I quit. So the, for the past three and a half years, I've been a stay at home dad and that's what I do. She works. I don't. So yeah, worked out pretty well. <laughs> you know? So where does the barbecue come back for you then? So long time ago, I was driving through, mesquite nevada and there was a barbecue competition there and i went and checked it out and it ended up being the very first episode of pitmasters oh yeah and uh so i was driving home going i want to do that one day that would be really cool to be able to you know i'm going to take my dad's recipes and i'm going to go out and compete and (laughs) i'm going to show the world you know my neighbors like my food so that kind of planted a a seed in my brain but working in restaurants it was funny because i set off on this life of living and you know, enjoying. And then I took the management role to kind of have something to fall back on. And it was funny because my whole life changed to where I was working all the time, no time off, you know, just busting my butt. So I didn't have a lot of time to practice that stuff. So years go by. And when my wife actually, so I, I, I cook all the time outside. I was grilling, love it all, did it all, all the time, cooking, cooking, cooking. But as far as competition goes, I, when my wife and I was able to quit, I went to culinary school. And when I was done, she goes, what do you want to do? I go, I want to do barbecue competitively. So cool. Let's do it. So that's what I did. Uh, Booked my next plane and took a class from Brad Leininger and uh, Tim Shear Mm -hmm. and uh, came back and worked with those recipes a lot and took some more classes and worked with those and developed our profile and hit the, hit the road and, you know, and got a couple people that wanted to help me out and just kind of rock and rolled. But that was the competition side. You know, that all happened very quickly. Um, but I was, you know, I was always interested in smoking, but grilling was my thing. And I was a gas guy, you know, but Weber and a gas. I, I watched Bobby Flay and he always had the gas and he had the Weber. So I'm about the gas and the Weber. And that's what I used to cook on. So um, I always had my hand in it my whole life. There's never a time where I didn't. The, but the competition world, we just just did it, you know, and here we are. We actually did pretty well for ourselves. So. Seeing success on the competition side uh, for barbecue. And then, of course, uh, you know, we've talked at length on the 
state competitions as well. So where do you see uh, this stage of life pursuing to? What's the next step? So it's coming all back. Uh, just bought myself a, f- a tr- food trailer. Got it all wrapped up. Um, I'm getting back into the restaurant business, but I'm going to own it myself. I've worked in the restaurant business in every aspect of it for, gosh, since I was 15 until about three years ago. So do the math. Um, it's just what I know. I know how to run restaurants. I know I know them upside and inside and out. And staying home, I realized that it's fun and it's cool, but I need to be doing something. There's got to be something I'm doing constantly. And my wife, <laughs> she ended up after three years agreeing. So she's really on board for me kind of getting the hell out of the house for a little while. But um, so I'm going to start a food truck. I'm going to keep competing. I'm going to try and get into barbecue. I'm just going to try and make barbecue my life. However, that is, you know, Um, doing the podcast, you know, doing this show, uh, competing, doing food, wherever I can get my hands in is kind of where I'm going to go and try and just work my way into making this barbecue thing my life. And my, and in case for some reason, my wife doesn't, you know, her company, like the owner does gets caught with a dead hooker, you know, I'll have something, you know what I'm saying? I have something to fall back on and, and I want it to be barbecue. So I'm going to try my best to do that in every aspect that I can. Do you have any of your three daughters that show any interest in this at all or share a passion? Yeah, mm-hmm. the, uh, the two oldest always want to help me cook all the time. They're constantly helping me do something. So I cook, uh, I cook at home three meals a day, uh, for everyone. So that's kind of my deal. And they help me out every step of the way. They help me. My oldest is now helping me on the grill a little bit. She likes to go throw the meat on. Um, she likes to carry the pan, but that's as far as she goes. She's six. Um, she's kind of afraid of the fire right now, but, um, she loves to help cook inside and she loves to do anything to help dad. So that's nice. That's how I was. So that's hopefully how she'll be. Cause that would be great. As long as there's new Orleans saints fans or they're into cooking, I've succeeded. That's how I look at parenting. How so, old are the other two? Uh, five, four and three. So yeah, you six, have six, four and three. Four, and three? Yeah, dude. Oh and we get my what? Lord. Wow. When we, I stayed at home, I had an <laughs> infant, a freaking two year old and a four year old. Yeah. That's what I, yeah. yeah. Careful with Jeff. I mean, I've, I, I, I've done that. But, you know, I was not uh, 40 when I was doing that. I was, you know, when I was in forced retirement, I forget exactly, you know, what year that was. But, um, you know, the the girls were, I don't know, you know, four and something and then an infant. So, I mean, I, I remember those days. But for some reason, I remember thinking, well, I mean, I think now. Well, there's no way I could have done that at any other point in my life than when I was that young because mm-hmm. I, I didn't care if I didn't sleep. And uh, we were in a in a spot where my wife was literally able to go to work full time as a physical therapist the day, be, you know, when I lost my job, the next day she just picked up and went to work full time for years after that. So it wasn't a choice of mine like it was for you to be a full-time dad, but it just happened that after I was out for you know six or eight months that we had a conversation and said, well, it, it doesn't seem to be a great market right now. 
Uh, we're not going to put the kids in daycare if I found a job, if it wasn't going to be worthwhile financially, because then you're just pissing away money on childcare, which is very expensive. So do something that a lot of dads don't get to do. Stay home mm-hmm. and you be the mom this time. And like, those are days that I'll just never, ever look back and regret whatsoever. I mean, I'm a worker and I like to work and I hated the fact that the job didn't want me to work there anymore. And uh, worse, didn't give me any heads up on that shit. But the relationship that I was able to build with the girls and uh, teach them things that uh, perhaps you know my wife wouldn't have done, or just because you know I'm I was the guy that was there. Uh, you know, is is really rewarding to me. And uh, you know, getting back into the workforce after the fact, I mean, certainly is great and all that, whatever. But um, you know, that time is something that I'll I'll always remember fondly, and uh, I think it uh, helped draw a closer bond uh, with my daughters uh, because I was there. And you know, a lot of dads at that age are are not; they're out there on the hustle and. That's what you got to do to keep food on the table and and pay the bills. So, um, and I was I'm I was right there with you at that age, and you know hold on to every second of it because you know quickly they're in college and ready to go to college and starting high school all at the same time. So, what can I tell you? Yeah, fun stuff. Yeah, and it's hard to see that in the in the in, it, in the interim, you know. But it, it's totally cool. Yeah. Like even just seeing myself getting out, and just gonna miss that. You know, we're up there gonna have movie night. You know, stuff like that's not gonna happen because. Yep. Uh, Rusty Monson can be found on his show co-hosting the Pitmasters podcast, which releases new episodes each week. He's also out there competing on the barbecue competition scene. He's competing on the steak cooking scene. He's got the food trailer that is, uh, is it out and and ready yet? Like I've seen the trailer, but like when are you launching? I got to take my tests and do the Ah, stuff, but COVID won't let me go take my proctor test. So I have to do that. Right. So once that's done, filing for licenses and we're rocking and rolling. Right, we're on hold for that, but uh, hopefully sooner than later. And of course, you can find him here on the fourth Tuesday of every month with the other malfeasance of the barbecue community during the embedded correspondence segment. Rusty, really appreciate you uh, joining the team this year. You've brought a, f- a fresh perspective and a, a view that has really added to the dais of experts that uh, I've assembled here over the years. So I couldn't be more proud to have you and, and call you part of the team and appreciate what you do each and every month. Well, we appreciate you, man. It's been a blast. It's been really, really cool. Been a huge fan of the show. And now that I'm on, it, it's kind of like joining the band you like, you know? Awesome. Well, <laughs> it's kind of like glad we could put it together. And uh, Rusty, thanks again, friend. Hey, thank you, man. You got it. There he is, Rusty Monson, right there, giving us his origin story. And Doug Shiding is locked and loaded. Now I just got to figure out the hell I'm going to do here. Let me get this piece of business out of the way. We'll probably start fresh with Doug. It's going to be damn near a three-hour show tonight. So pack a lunch. Let me talk to you quickly about the barbecue guru. Always believing outdoor cooking should be easy and fun because it can be, especially with the monolith. Monolith, the world's first temperature-controlled smoker with a built-in power draft fan, meeting smarter control and greater freedom with automatic temperature control. Easily choose your cooking time and temperature and let the monolith do the work of a sous chef or a barbecue pit master. With minimal effort, you now have oven-like precision at the grill. 
You can serve the tastiest, juiciest of meals each and every time. Go to the website, bbqguru.com. That's bbqguru.com. Or give them a call, 800-288-GURU. That's 800-288-GURU. The Barbecue Guru continues to be a breakthrough in barbecue technology. We wrap this origin story of Rusty Monson up now, and we will be back to start Doug Shidings from Roe Cooker right after this. Stick around. We'll be right back. You're listening to the number one most downloaded barbecue and grilling podcast anywhere. The Barbecue Central Show. 